Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number four, The Machinery of the Looking Glass, part three. Lessons from Immanuel Kant. In this edition of The Christian Atheist, we continue laying out my journey to the looking glass in July 2019, when I turned my back on 25 years of atheism. Much of my philosophical study occurred in the years between my turn to atheism at the beginning of grad school and earning my PhD from the University of California, Irvine in 2004. My graduate work in philosophy was founded on Immanuel Kant, who remains a philosophical hero for me. Kant published his seminal text, The Critique of Pure Reason, in 1781. Knowing Kant's project in historical context is vital to understanding his accomplishments. The Enlightenment had swept Europe, and political and social upheaval, the French Revolution was on the horizon, were everywhere evident. Newton's Principia was published almost 100 years before, in 1687. Science and philosophy had combined to create a profound challenge to the traditional worldview, including religious faith and the possibility of morality, of human freedom. There was a heady hubris that all questions would be answered, that scientific rationalism would sweep away all superstition and usher in a new age of knowledge, a utopia of science and human rationality. There was an increasing understanding of the world as mechanism, that all things, including human beings, might be understood as deterministic parts of a complex but rationally explicable whole. That the expansion of human knowledge to comprehensive understanding would solve all issues. Kant rightly saw the possibility of a devastatingly anti human destruction such a necessitarian outlook might wreak. By necessitarian here, I mean that human freedom is denied as an exception to the rigid determinism of cause and effect in the natural world. On this view, human beings, like all of nature, are ruled by the mechanistic determinism of external and social forces, by the laws of cause and effect. Traditionally, it is freedom of will upon which social structure depends. If we are not free, we are not responsible. If human beings are only cogs in the mechanism, fixing humanity's problems is a matter of adjusting the inputs. Social engineering simply a technical problem to be solved by top-down rational imposition. Though of a different origin than science, necessitarianism in part fuels much of today's social justice or postmodern view of our world. Kant feared the consequences of the acceptance of this necessitarian worldview, and history has proven his fears well-founded. To see it ourselves, we need only think of the 20th century social engineering horrors, Maoist China, the Bolshevik Revolution, Nazi Germany, Pol Pot, Stalin and his lineage's socialist-communist pretensions, etc. Remembering last week's Christian atheist, we might also include Plato's Republic in this list, and thereby realize that this tendency toward totalitarian thinking, often followed by totalitarian action, is one of the perennial traps into which human reason falls. Kant and Socrates hold much in common in terms of philosophical projects. Kant believed that his, quote, critique of pure reason will render an important service 
to reason, by leading the student to apply his powers to the cultivation of genuine science, instead of wasting them, as at present, on speculations which can never lead to any result, or on the idle attempt to invent new ideas and opinions. But, above all, it will confer an inestimable benefit on morality and religion by showing that all the objections urged against them may be silenced forever by the Socratic method, that is to say, by proving the ignorance of the objector. For, as the world has never been, and, no doubt, never will be, without a system of metaphysics of one kind or another, it is the highest and weightiest concern of philosophy to render it powerless for harm by closing up the sources of error. From Kant's Critique of Pure Reason, preface to the second edition. As we saw last week, Socrates was concerned that knowledge be carefully screened, that the tests of experience and life were the best indicators of true knowledge. Truth, seeing things aright so that one might live well, knowing and accepting the limitations of knowledge, these are concerns common to Kant, Socrates, and as we shall see next week, Jean-Paul Sartre. Knowledge, for Kant, was one of several uses to which reason applies itself, and not, he thought, the most important. One of Kant's primary concerns, then, in the Critique of Pure Reason, was to render metaphysical speculation, quote, powerless for harm, by closing up the sources for error, by means of the Socratic method, by proving the ignorance of the objector. There are, in particular, three objects that Kant is concerned to find conceptual space for, that he feels are threatened by the scientific necessitarianism of his day. God, freedom of the will, and the human soul. These things, Kant says, can never be known by reason, as they are not encounterable as objects in our world. So, for example, while we can never know human freedom, since knowing it would require an infinite knowledge of all factors involved in any decision, it is thinkable. In fact, in order to allow for the possibility of ethics for personal responsibility, it must be thinkable. Both freedom of the will and determinism, then, are thinkable. They are different ways of looking at or explaining the same human experience. We must assume that one or the other of these options is true. But without a godlike knowledge, we cannot know which. A knowledge of these things, then, transcends our grasp as limited, finite creatures. Indeed, the very human notion of choice denies knowledge. Knowledge is the realm of determinism. When knowledge and reason combine, there is no conceptual space for choice. Choice can only flourish in indeterminism, when we experience a field of open possibilities. We can only choose one action over another when we stand outside the deterministic world, outside knowledge. Ethics, then, is practical only in a world in which knowledge is limited. Knowledge, that is, in application to morality, destroys morality for beings like us. Likewise, 
a God that is knowable is finite, and thus not God. God and freedom of the will can only be believed, not known. We may live our lives and act as if they are true or real, but we cannot know that they are. We are, then, in a position to understand a famous passage from Kant's Critique of Pure Reason, 2nd edition preface. Quote, I cannot even make the assumption, as the practical interests of morality require, of God, freedom, and immortality, if I do not deprive speculative reason of its pretensions to transcendent insight. For to arrive at these, it must make use of principles which, in fact, extend only to the objects of possible experience, and which cannot be applied to objects beyond this sphere without converting them into phenomena, and thus rendering the practical extension of pure reason impossible. I must, therefore, abolish knowledge to make room for belief. The dogmatism of metaphysics, that is, the presumption that it is possible to advance in metaphysics without previous criticism, is the true source of the unbelief, always dogmatic, which militates against morality. I am, I must confess, still somewhat dubious of the application of this passage to the concepts of God and immortality as necessary to morality. But its point about freedom of the will, and the necessity of faith in it as required by morality, seems ironclad to me. It is simply true that we can conceive of an anthropology in which the human being is entirely determined, and for which, then, morality is illusory, merely an epiphenomenon. But we can also think of one in which the human being possesses true freedom of the will. If we deny knowledge of which of these competing visions is true, the transcendent insight that Kant seeks to deprive speculative reason of its pretensions to, then we have a free choice of possibles, one of which preserves morality, while the other destroys it. To act, then, as if morality is real, is to believe that it is, to have faith. And I would argue that this presumption is one that is universal in human practice. Note that it is only by denying knowledge to transcendent insight that faith in freedom becomes possible. But that it is possible is given in the faith practice of every living human being. Thus, we can have a rational faith that human beings are free moral agents. These considerations revolutionized my understanding of the world in which I live, not least because philosophy more and more came to be motivated for me by how well it reflected human existence as we live it. Given a choice between exercising faith in a world in which I am not free to choose and act, and faith in a world in which I am, I will choose freedom every time, for aesthetic and practical reasons at the least, but also for the sake of intellectual coherence. Faith on this understanding is an everyday reality, for every time we choose we exercise faith, not knowledge. Choice always occurs in the face of indeterminacy. Indeed, 
This is what it means to have open possibles, or a future. Limiting knowledge, indeed, makes room for faith, and faith makes room for life. I can know that my wife is beside me, but I can only believe that she loves me. But such a belief is, or at least can be, rational. Although Kant did not convince me to believe in God, he did convince me that faith is a human universal that regulates our every day, and that human knowledge, in reinforcement of Socrates' claim, is more limited and the pretensions of reason more potentially dangerous, even to denying human morality, than most of us usually suppose. I, too, felt the need to find a way to make the pretensions of reason in our day powerless to harm. Kant taught me, then, that faith and reason are not opposed, as so often represented, and as motivated my turn to atheism. Rather, reason operates on the foundation of faith. Theist or atheist, scientist or tribesman. This is not to say that all creeds are equal. They are not. But only that belief is essential to the function of reason, not accidental. Thus, with Kant's account of knowledge and faith, my path to that fateful day in July 2019, when I leap back through the looking glass to faith in God, comes into greater focus. If you found this edition to be particularly hard to understand, I sincerely apologize. It is not easy to compact such difficult material into a manageable but understandable size. To aid understanding, I have listed two websites in the comments on this episode that I think would be of immense help in clarifying this material. The first is relatively easy for the philosophy layman to understand, and the second, though more technical, is of immense value in grasping the overall structure of Kantian thought. I am a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be Christian. <laughs>